You've tuned in to Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. And that is us, the Geek's Watch. We're here for episode two. We did take a a one-week hiatus there, John. Um, I I, I like to say it's just because I was recovering from Civil War. It was the most awesome thing I'd seen ever, so uh, I needed the weekend to recover. How about yourself? Yeah, Civil War had its way with me as well. <laughs> um, that's, you know, I don't think we can call ourselves the Geeks Watch without actually talking about Civil War just a little bit. Try, I guess, I don't know, get not to get too, too spoilery, but just uh, how, how did you enjoy it uh, in, in general? Um, best superhero movie ever. <laughs> I mean, there's just no, no, none of the other Marvel movies can touch it now. I mean, Deadpool might be a close second right now as far as the genre goes, but it's, even without the superhero credentials, it's still just a good movie, period. Oh, it's so true. I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, Deadpool is, is such a unique movie in the genre of comic book superhero movies. That it was, it was that what's made it great. But this one, Civil War, just takes everything about comic book superhero movies and ramps it up so great that it, it's um, it, oh, it's a masterpiece. Like I, I literally like this more than any other movie. It doesn't have to be just a comic book movie. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, it could have been about like, you know, Evan Brockovich's style of. Uh, <laughs> political intrigue and still you know like well this side has its points but this side does too you know and one of the things that i liked about it too like the funny thing is that if it had been another movie and it had done it poorly i would really be pissed like another movie that did it was uh was iron man 2 iron man 2 does this particular thing that i'm about to mention and it does it so poorly that it it ruined the movie for me but however in this movie they get me to come to the movie because it's a civil war movie but when actuality as you're watching the movie it switches and it's a, it's another winter soldier story it's it's the 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 prologue or the ending to the winter soldier story you know or at least part of the ending and like if it's so flawless in the way that it does it in this movie that you don't i mean you kind of you, you see it but you don't see it you know it all flows together yeah going into it i kind of figured why is this called captain america civil war i think um uh, Chris mentioned it, or um, one of the guys in uh, We Are Entertained, or was it? Are we entertained? We are entertained. Uh, yeah, yeah. They mentioned like, why is it... there's three? You know, like you have all of them in there, minus Thor and Hulk. Uh, you know, is it? Can you just not have too many Avengers movies for some kind of contract requirement or something? 
Um, and I kind of felt the same way at first. But no, you're right. It's definitely a continuation of Winter Soldier. I think in the long run, this it's going to be Bucky's story that uh, we'll be seeing the you know the continuation in this universe. I think you're, I think you're very right. I think uh, that is uh, very um, astute uh, to say. I mean, because Bucky and Sebastian Stan have been just as crucial a character in each one of the Captain America movies as Captain America himself. So if Captain America or Chris Evans signed on for whatever the, those contracts are, like nine movies or seven movies, you know, he's showed up in other movies like the Avengers and Age of Ultron and, and uh, Thor 2, but... Sebastian Stan hasn't showed up in those other movies. He signed nine a nine movie contract. Also, that means you know he might carry on to be Captain America after Chris Evans' character dies. It would make sense, and the, that follows the comic book. So, very oh, the, the the movie just sets up so much great stuff, and and it it's it's shot beautifully. The action scenes are great. The action you know, uh, which they said they brought in the directors of John Wick, which were the the stunt coordinators for the Matrix movies, so it makes sense that the action scenes were done great, and it just the action was just like off the chain. It was like some of the best. I mean, these are fight scenes where you know the stakes, you can follow the action. It's incredibly badass, and every character has his you know set of powers and abilities, and you see them on display. I mean, you see. Weapons and abilities like Iron Man using that one hand laser. Right. Is you you miss it if you don't pay attention, but the fact that he uses it, it's something that's part of his arsenal, but it it's you know it's brought out only when needed. And I'm like, that's cool, that's still there, you know. Um Yeah, like you you care about what's going on. It's it's not just action for the sake of action. It's actually really cool, you know this is why this is happening and it looks awesome while it's happening. And then uh, another thing that I thought was great was like, uh, like just the airport scene alone, like you get the, you get the, the big fight scene. Like you want, you want, you want to see what happens if Iron Man goes up against Captain America and you want to see what's going to happen between Black Widow and, and Hawkeye because they're friends and they're going to go up against each other. But then they switch it up and they're like, you get to see other people. You get to see what happens with Captain America goes up against Spider-Man. What happens when Iron, Iron Man goes up against Ant-Man? Like, they, they do the thing that fanboys and fangirls love when they're talking about comic book characters, superhero characters. What happens if these two fight each other, you know? Not just the obvious ones. Yeah. So, oh, I'm, I'm geeking out all over about this movie. It's Again, I need to go see it for like the fourth <laughs> time now. Uh, but see, this is a movie I wouldn't mind an extended DVD or Blu-ray of, <laughs> as opposed more to Batman this. v Superman. Yeah. Yes, less of that, more of this. It's <laughs> just a good mantra for life in general. <laughs> I, I can get behind that mantra. Uh, so that you know, that's a little bit of our uh, talking about uh, Civil War. There, Captain America: Civil War. Uh, maybe we will have a whole episode dedicated to it sometime down the line. But uh, right now let's get into some news. And I thought it was interesting is that this week there was a lot of cancellation of, of primetime TV shows for next year's uh, television season. Um, One of those shows happens to be castle. So castle has been canceled by ABC. 
uh, for the 2016-2017 season, meaning Nathan Fillion is going to be free to start filming things. And he's even said so on his Twitter. He he uh, after he announced or they announced that the show had been canceled, he went to his Twitter and he said uh, to uh, dear every director, it appears I have an opening in my schedule, <laughs> which you know uh, James oh James Gunn then goes on to respond, good news for me, pal. You know so. Maybe we see more of him in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe we see uh, uh, they they've announced there's going to be a Booster Gold movie coming out. So uh, I think he'd be perfect for Booster Gold. He he plays the character. He would play the character perfectly. However, I still would. Even though he's on the older side, I would love to see Nathan Fillion play Hal Jordan in the live action Green Lantern movie. You know, he's always been my pick for Green Lantern. You know, he's not one of my favorite characters. I've always felt he was. More so of a Boy Scout than even Superman. Um, that being said, with unfortunately the performance that Ryan Reynolds, you know, gave um, the character is due for a better portrayal, and I think Nathan Fillion would be the guy. He has the right balance of humor and um, seriousness that a character like that would require. Oh, most definitely, and he's also. Like he's been, you know, he's been the voice of Hal Jordan in the animated part of DC uh, uh, movies, the animated DC movies for the better part of a decade now. So why not? I mean, he's. It's not like he's out of shape, and we all know that these people get themselves into great shape just to be in these movies. Look at Paul Rudd and Chris Pratt. So uh, it's. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to have Hal jo- or Nathan Fillion be Hal Jordan. And barring that, since they're from what I've heard, they they're gonna try to include other Green Lanterns besides Hal Jordan. Right. Um, if that doesn't work out for him, you can always try to get Joss Whedon to redo Serenity. <laughs> I would love to have more Firefly. I'm pretty sure uh, everybody else is available because none of them are on any regular uh, TV show as a as a regular anymore. Yeah, I, I mean. It'd be really cool to pick up the story, what, like 15 years later and see where it is and how we got there. It'd be pretty awesome. I mean, the only bad part would be is that there wouldn't be a wash and there wouldn't be an Alan Tudyk because of what happened to him in Serenity the movie. But, like, that, I mean, and to me, he's one of the best parts of Firefly, and that would be completely sad for him not to be there. Or they do a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> You know they use they use some of that awesome uh, CGI that they use on Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War, <laughs> make everybody look like you know teenagers, and that'd be pretty awesome. I'm pretty sure that that'd be really expensive TV show for that to happen. <laughs> uh, but hey, I'm all for it. Yeah. So Wentworth Miller of Prison Break frame, I think the most thing he's been the most famous for, but he's re- recently been in the the CW uh, Warner Brothers or CW DC shows uh, playing Captain Cold Leonard Snart came out and said uh, that he is not going to be a regular in the DC universe next year, seeing as how his character was is a big part of DC Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Have you do you watch the show? Uh, I saw the first couple of episodes of Legends of Tomorrow and I haven't kept up with it because of all the other backlog of stuff I have. Ah. Um, that being said, I do like Legends of Tomorrow. Um, I do like the uh, 
explanation you guys do of it being the CW version of the Justice League. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, spot on. That's actually pretty accurate. Um, I've read similar uh, stories about him being gone and that that doesn't mean he will be gone for good. Uh, it Basically what it means is he's going to be doing more crossovers with the other shows in DC. And you know what? That's, that's going to be fine with me because as of this past Thursday's episode of Legends of Tomorrow – his character looks like it's dead, so... <laughs> uh, sorry, spoilers out there, if you haven't watched that episode yet, but... Uh, but when time travel's involved, I mean... Yeah, exactly. Seems, yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. Time travel's involved. And so his character is also, you know, like you said, he's gonna be... He'll probably be jumping around in, in, uh, in like, the Supergirl episodes, now that Supergirl's on the CW, and uh, uh, other places like uh, Arrow and Flash. Speaking of uh, no one dies in comic books and comic related TV shows, I see that Fish Mooney's going to be coming back. <laughs> that is exactly true. I saw that uh, in the preview for next week's episode of Gotham after this week. And uh, I mean, when this season started, or this half of the season, when you saw her, or at least the familiar haircut in the, the tank, uh, and then all of a sudden they're bringing back all these other. Uh, these other villains that died. I was. It was only inevitable that she was eventually going to come back, which was I thought was very weird because usually I don't like when they add in new villains or new characters to established um, uh, IP. You know, um, but the character of Fish Mooney I thought was very interesting and, and uh, really good for the Batman universe and the fact that it, she doesn't exist in the Batman comics already. Uh, only meant that eventually we probably would get her, just like we got uh, Harley Quinn after she was created for the DC or Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I'm 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 calling it now. The Joker's going to come back. Jerome is going <laughs> to get horribly mutated by the freezing process. Ah, well there get you re- go. He's going to be so then we will have an origin for the Joker. Just it's going to be the one that's came out of Gotham. Yeah. Interesting. Well, they have to do something because uh, the uh, animated version of the Killing Joke is gonna cement that version of the origin. So that's true. That's very true. They want to differentiate themselves. I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Wentworth Miller, and I think the next thing I had was John Boyega was out talking about. Uh, Episode 8, Star Wars Episode 8, and how Ryan Johnson is creating a story that's a lot darker than the than what we saw in The Force Awakens. Yeah, I've been hearing uh, rumors. I've heard, um, I've seen videos where people claim they have leaked copies of the script, and the version of the story they're telling is definitely a little more on the WTF darker side. <laughs> do Assuming you, there's any truth to them, do you think that this episode, episode eight, will be as loved as, uh, or or at least the equivalent to the Empire Strikes Back as the original trilogy? I think it's going to be very divisive. Um, will it be people's favorite entry in the in this trilogy? I don't know yet. Um, I will say that it's going to be very polarizing because I think it's going to finally take a departure from the typical formula i mean obviously episode seven was 
episode four with a new coat of paint. <laughs> and they know by now that simply remaking um, better versions of these movies, you know, is, is not always... Fans don't really want that. Fans didn't want a remaking of Wrath of Khan with Star Trek Into Darkness. Right. You know? And they also didn't appreciate that you know, we were lied to when we kept being told that Cumberbatch was not Khan. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and, um, it, um, it's going to take a different approach from what I can tell. And that's something that fans sometimes have a problem with. Um, when they go too far, like, say, the prequels talking about midichlorians as being the explanation of the force that was a change that was not well received no it wasn't and you know i think it's funny that when you remake star trek or you you, yeah you remake star trek throughout the con and you call it star trek into darkness it's obviously a remake of of wrath of con but when you made when they make uh star wars the force awakens and they don't exactly call it a remake or a reboot, but yet, uh, I mean, I know, you, like, I under, I get what you were saying, and I, I agree with you. People don't want just a, a remake of the older movies, but they really did, the people really did love Force Awakens. Like, even if I had my problems with it, people loved it, and it, it's, you know, it's it's up there as one of the highest grossing movies of all time, but uh, it, it, I just think it's funny that, because... It's obvi- It's an it's an obvious remake without calling it a remake. It's a soft remake, yeah. Yeah. But what they should reboot is uh, the prequels. They should go back and redo that whole mess and try to make those better. That's what I understand about movie remakes. They make they when they remake good movies like RoboCop and Total Recall. It's like why they were already good. You're not improving on anything. You're just putting in more modern actors and somewhat more hackneyed writing you got to go back and redo the bad ones like howard the duck or something and try to make <laughs> something good out of those that's what a remake should be that's true mm-hmm. uh it, exactly you go back and remake the bad movies um also he was asked uh, to comment on the possible uh budding romance of finn and daisy or not finn and daisy but finn and <laughs> riley or no what's her name ray there you go ray. finn and ray and he said, well, he, Finn is just a, a stormtrooper. He doesn't exactly understand what's going on yet in, in the world. So it's it's I, I don't think you'll see them growing to, closer together as a love interest, is what he said. But They don't have sex yet for stormtroopers, apparently. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, if they, they make stormtroopers into, like, the Unsullied. Or the Unsullied. See, maybe that's why they don't have good aim is because they can't keep their hands straight from like, <laughs> being so repressed. That, that could definitely be it, too. <laughs> I know that messed me up. I'd be like, oh, I can't even see straight right now. <laughs> um, another piece of uh, CW DC World news is that Kevin Smith has stated, after successfully... Uh, directing an episode of The Flash, uh, an episode that a lot of the fans are, are loving. Uh, a good pe- episode. It was a very good episode. People want him to direct uh, an episode of, of Arrow. And even though he's, he hasn't said no, he said he would rather write uh, a story arc on the on on Arrow. 
which uh, I don't know if you ever read his uh, Quiver story on on Arrow on Green Arrow when the DC Comics when they brought back Oliver Queen from the dead. It's probably one of my favorite uh, Green Arrow storylines. Uh, he want, he created the the Onomatopoeia character, and I know that you like that character. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says he wants to bring that to the TV show. That would be awesome. Which I, is that cool? That's a cool character. I mean, it 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 the challenge will be in translating it to the screen because he's so perfect for like the written medium. Exactly. But, Exactly. But that would be part of the challenge, and like I would like to see Onomatopoeia be the kind of weird guy that shoots you with a silencer, but then makes the sound with his mouth. You know, like, that would be perfect. <laughs> that would be awesome, and and I think that's exactly what he had said earlier on when Arrow first became a show. He said, "I don't think Onomatopoeia would ever be able to make it onto TV because his shtick is is very much made for the written." Uh, medium where it's it, it wouldn't play out well on TV, but he he wants to try and give it a try. So I say, well, who who better than to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, this could be his Harley Quinn. You know, like it was for Paul Dini. Like this could be his way to introduce his character to the mainstream and make it be like a cultural phenomena. If he's like a DC version of Deadpool in a way. <laughs> I didn't even think about it that way, but yeah, he would be, except for. Being the merc with the mouth, he'd be kind of like the merc without a mouth because he doesn't make he doesn't talk. Yeah, it'd be really. Uh, this is just in my own head canon, but I like to think that um, what's his name, Officer Jones from Police Academy, that he went rogue. <laughs> Michael Winslow. And he, yeah, and he became Onomatopoeia in the alternate reality. <laughs> oh, I love it! You know what? They never. I'm pretty sure that you never see him outside of his uh, without his mask on in the comic books. So well, that... you, you you do in the whitening Geyer. Oh, do the, you? Uh, that was the Kevin Smith written and um, Walt Flanagan Walt drawn Flanagan uh, uh, drawn comic. I don't know if they ever finished it. It was really interesting. It's very very non-canon. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed uh, to be a trilogy, and I think they still need the third story to to write to finish up. Yeah, it, it's definitely not complete. But that one was heavily focused on onomatopoeia and you definitely get to see that it's just some kind of nondescript white guy uh, but you don't get an origin story you just get to see what he looks like well that's fine we can change his, they can change his uh his his race to be black and just get and just hire michael winslow to be the to be the guy yeah. i think that'd be that'd be hilarious he, you know he's probably old he's older now but i i doubt i, be, I imagine he can still make the noises yeah he'd be the one you least expect <laughs> exactly that would be perfect uh <laughs> So yeah, so right before we get into um, some Game of Thrones, uh, I want to—I just thought it was funny that on uh, Kit Harrington, who plays Jon Snow, uh, was on the Tonight Show, and he was telling a story about how he got pulled over for speeding, and the cop gave him an ultimatum and said, uh, "Either this goes down two ways: either you come with me to uh, police headquarters and we 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 write you up for for speeding." Or you tell me if you're gonna be if, if your character's alive in next season, and he says, uh, "I looked at I looked at him and went, I'm alive next season." He says, "On your way, Lord Commander." <laughs> yeah. See, in a way, that's really fitting with one of the episodes we're about to talk about, the Oathbreaker. Right. And um, yeah, he he swore an oath in the form of a non-disclosure agreement that he would not reveal to anyone. Uh huh. 
that this is the case, and yet first chance given, yep, he <laughs> just starts singing like a canary. <laughs> I mean, if you had, if I willed that kind of power, I'd probably try and get out of a, of a speeding ticket too, or you know, maybe get a, a free donut at a donut store or something. You know, why why not? People are going to be asking you anyway. Just make sure you don't say it to any reporters. <laughs> yeah, who's going to believe the cop if he tells anybody? I was like, hey, baby, I'm the king that was promised or whatever. <laughs> so uh, that's 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 where we're at. And that takes us right into Game of Thrones. I think uh, that's a good segment of news right there. But uh, we were talking about this. I think what we want to do is we want to start up a little segment called Lineage where we would talk about one particular character and uh, we go over where they started out, where we first saw them. Uh, either in a book or in the movie and or in the show more more so in the show because I think more people relate to the show and uh, and fill in any gaps that maybe uh, especially John would fill in any gaps of of their character that might might not translate onto the onto the screen right on cool so I think this first week because these two episodes episode two and episode three of uh, this season are very heavily d- having to do with uh the now new Lord Ramsey uh, Bolton. Uh, we want to talk about Ramsey Bolton, or formerly Ramsey Snow. That's right, uh, the bastard of Bolton, who has now, um, thanks to some political maneuvering and some straight up just betrayal, is now the Lord of Winterfell and the Warden of the North. That's right. Let's see, Ramsey Bolton. Uh, or Ramsey Snow, as he was originally called, is the bastard son of Bruce Bolton, the Lord of the Dreadfort. And although Bruce Bolton claims to uh, prefer peace and quiet in his you know realm, um, he is known to be kind of a jerk, um, to put it nicely. Like if he wants something, he takes it. He can be very cruel and has an iron fist. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a minor lord, he actually is one of the bannermen of the Karstarks, um, which means he's technically lower on the totem pole um, than most other lords because you know, he's like a sublord. Um, that being said, when the events of uh, about the War of the Five Kings happened, he kind of rose to prominence and became one of the right-hand men of Rob Stark. Uh, when he called all the bannermen in the north to come and join him against the the uh, the Lannisters, um, so he's very much uh, he's very much a, a person that takes uh, he jumps on the opportunity of whatever side is probably looking the best, right? He's an opportunist. Basically, yes. Um, he and he also switches sides when convenient, as you've seen, you know in the past few seasons. Very much so. Um, he swore allegiance to Rob Stark, betrayed him to the Lannisters, then he betrayed the Lannisters by, you know, harboring a Lannister fugitive in Sansa Stark. Right. And like now, I mean, even betrayal within their own blood is not anything to be surprised about, you know, the, but we'll get to that point soon enough. Um, Let's see. So we have uh, mm-hmm. Roose Bolton, Lord of the Dreadfort. Um, he had a wife and he had a, an heir originally. 
But he also then happens to be impulsive at the wrong times. And he happened to see a miller's wife uh, just kind of minding her own business. He found her attractive. He raped her and had the husband hanged. The excuse he gave for this is the the right of the first night, which is something that um, means a lord can basically have sex with a commoner's wife before they get married, if he so choose to. Um, it's actually a banned practice in the North. Um, uh, the original warden of the North, Ned Stark, uh, made that illegal. Actually, it might have been illegal even before him. Mm. But, you know, they're kind of more noble. They're like, yeah, we're above that kind of savage behavior. And he was like, well, maybe just this one time. <laughs> and um, that could have gotten him in trouble. Uh, but he just basically told the woman that, hey, this never happened. And a year later, she shows up to his fort saying, so um, I have your son. And Roos was about to kill them both until he realized that this guy, this kid, looks like me. He has my, you know, pale, dead eyes. So he said, all right, I'm going to cut you a deal. Uh, you'll go back to your mill. You'll have full ownership of it. You'll have, you know, feed. You'll have livestock. You, you won't need anything. Just leave me alone, and that'll be that. And so she agreed for a while, and uh, Bruce even sent a servant to help raise Ramsey, uh, yeah, Ramsey Snow, as he is now known. Mm -hmm. And either the mother or the servant informed Ramsey Snow, as he was growing up, of his true lineage, that he was in fact the son of a lord. Now, in um, in this particular culture. Being a bastard can have one of three consequences. You'll be murdered because somebody high up cannot benefit from you being born. Right. Uh, they'll completely ignore you and pretend you don't exist. Right. And in the rare occasion, they'll actually take you in and raise you as one of the family, even though you technically legally don't have to. Right. So that's that's when you get like all you get these kids that are that have the last name of, of whatever area they're in, right? Like, because that's why it's John, it's John Snow and it's Ramsey Snow because they're all from they're they're bastards of the North, right? Right. And then and you have the one curl that was sand, because yes, you have all of the sand snakes are bastards. Therefore, they're that's why they're like Laria sand, Tyene sand, Nymeria sand. All of these, um, yeah, just based on where they're from, they have different uh, bastard surnames. Uh, the joke being that there's two things that those areas have a lot of would be, for instance, in the no, there's a lot of bastards and there's a lot of snow. Ah, uh, see, I like that. I like the, I like the, the whole, you know, we're going to recognize that you actually are the offspring of this person, but we're not giving you that person's name and you just kind of get ridiculed for it or either. I mean, it could be like Jon Snow where you get ridiculed or you don't get ridiculed, but he, he still took him in and, uh, you know, and I know that's a special circumstance because of Jon Snow's background but uh it's um you, or you could be like uh or Ramsey Snow or uh Sirius Sand um but then you have the other ones that don't get the their name like what would uh Baratheon's ba bastards cuz they didn't he, a lot of the ba all the bastards that Cersei went and killed throughout uh King's Landing didn't have the the the, the cool surname 
Right. Uh, well, specifically from the place where the Baratheons are from, which is Storm's End, um, they those bastards have the surname of Storm. Oh. Um, in the books, there actually is specifically a bastard born to Robert Baratheon uh, in one, and it's like an island um, named Edric Storm, but in the show, they rewrote the character to be Gendry. Oh, so okay. He basically had more to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, so everything that you see happen to Gendry was actually happening to a different bastard of Robert Baratheon's. In the books. Uh, yeah. Um, Got it. See, that's or, I, I, I really liked that character, and uh, it seems like he kind of just disappeared after, what was that, season three, season four? <laughs> yeah, it's um, within the Reddit community for Game of Thrones. They they call it, he joined the uh, SS Abandoned Plotline. <laughs> and they have a picture of him on the rowboat with a bunch of other characters that have disappeared, like Benjamin Stark and uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners. Oh, uh, there you go, yeah. That's abandoned plot line. Yeah. Um. So it so it depends on who your who the father is and where they're from. Not so much where you were born in. So it because just because they were if he like Gendry was born in in King's Landing, he doesn't get a special King's Landing surname. He still would have had a a, a storm surname because his father's from Stormswell or whatever you said it was, right? Well, not exactly, because it, if you don't know who the parent is, then it would it, it would default to where you live. Oh, okay. So what's the surname for King's Landing? King's Landing? Um, let me see. What area is King's Landing in? Or do you, know, do you at least know the, like, the names of the other places? I, one's I believe, River, right? Yes, Rivers is for the area in, like, the Vale where, like, the... Uh, phrase are from okay uh, because there's like giant rivers that cross through there um there's stone if you're from an area like the Eyrie, uh, because it's basically just a really hilly boulderous kind of area um flowers if you're from uh where the tyrells are from uh sand is from dorn mm-hmm. pike if you're from the iron islands oh yeah, and um, uh, trying to remember. There's a few others. I mean, there's a lot of variation in there. Right. Uh, we can do maybe some more bastard discussion at a different time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's it's mostly due based on where you live, not so much who your father is, because most bastards probably don't know who their father is. Fair enough. So, so it's not just nobility. It's it's any bastard. Yeah, any bastard. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. I guess I didn't quite get that either. Uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and skip forward. Now we have uh, adult Ramsey Bolton, uh, played by Ewan Rain. I don't exactly know how to say his name because uh, I'm, I'm a stupid try. American. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> uh, when I saw him first on this TV on on the Game of Thrones, I immediately knew that this was the same actor that was in Misfits. I don't know if you ever got to see that show. It's Australian no. show about uh, a bunch of delinquent kids who were doing uh, community service outside when a uh, storm hit and gave them all superpowers. And um, it's a very funny show. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm familiar with it now. Yeah, I know which show you're talking about. I just haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a very funny show and and uh, and it's something that I know they've talked many times about trying to do an American version of it. 
uh, I, I don't, I really don't think they should do an American version of it, but if they did, I'd probably watch it. So, uh, the first time you see, uh, Ramsey Bolton in the Game of Thrones TV show, I believe he's, he's pretending to be a good guy to help Theon Greyjoy get away, right? Right. He's pretending to be like a servant at Winterfell and, um, is basically just leading him on, giving him hope. And um, that speaks to his character because he, uh, Ramsey is a consummate sadistic bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does nothing more than to just terrify people and uh, extinguish all sense of hope and, you know, joy in their life, apparently. And that stems back to when he was a child. Um, his mother when Ramsey became uh, in like in his early teens took him to to Roose Bolton and says I cannot handle him he is crazy he kills animals for fun and Roose saw something in him like I could cultivate him like he won't be my heir because he's a bastard and I already have a kid but I could use him you know he could be like a you know, a dog on the leash that he could let loose. And um, so that was kind of the mentality he had. Like, he didn't really care for him. He didn't see much in him except that he could be useful. And took him in, raised him, pretty much always reminding him of his place. And uh, he just kind of went along with this. He says, okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, but he rose in the ranks because of his, like, ferocity and, like, just brutishness. He was just horrible in battle you know like they say he would wield his sword like a butcher's you know knife he'd just hack at people and uh the dreadfort having the sigil of the flayed man he took to that wholeheartedly and just adopted the old sense of like medieval torture that he's a big fan of you know he loves nothing more than to like cut off fingers and you know one at a time peel the skin back Know, while you're still alive and you know in the case of poor theon you know cut his dong off and <laughs> send it to his family as like hey check this out hey <laughs> it's a dick in a box <laughs> yeah that was uh very unfortunate and and, and cruel <laughs> um so yeah, ramsey um does have an uh, an older brother that is recognized by uh uh, Roos, and that's the one that cut off the hand of Jamie Lannister, right? Uh, no. Um, well, in the books and in the show, it was two different characters, but neither of them are related to, to Ramsay. Um, oh. The, the older brother of Ramsay was actually murdered by Ramsay, poisoned, uh, in order to become the sole heir. Because at this point, um, Roos no longer had a wife. Uh, it's not clear what happened to her, but she's dead at this point. And so he basically just figures, hey, if I kill him, then I'll be the only heir by default. And he'll have to, you know, give me something. Um, and uh, that was kind of just the mentality he went with. That hasn't really been explained in the show. They haven't really mentioned that he had any other siblings. Um, but the same treacherous nature is still there. I mean, he has no problem killing family, as you've seen. So who was the guy that was in that was working for Roose Bolton then in the show? Who, who like I I understand was he just the guy that worked for him? Oh yeah, they were just um 
sell swords basically sell sword? Okay. mercenaries yeah Okay, yeah, no, uh, obviously, yes, he doesn't care uh, about anybody or anything. Um, maybe you could say that he cared about that girl that he was keeping, like, he kept around, because she was a little bit sadistic like he was. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, he doesn't seem to care about anyone. Um, so when he gets to take on the name of Bolton, it's a very big day for him in the show. Uh, you know, it's it's it proves that he can uh he he's he's worthy enough to be his father's son and and he uh but doesn't doesn't Roose Bolton say something about like I can take it away from you just as easily or something yes he starts to threaten him and Ramsey doesn't like that when he starts to kind of start failing him right uh you know that's you know he got to where he was because of his good graces that you know he was getting things done but he didn't appreciate the manner in which he did it because he saw that, you know, it would be, uh, it could be, it, it's, it's a very self-destructive behavior, you know, always getting what you want in spite of the consequences can lead to very bad things. And he was trying to teach him that he's like, all of the political maneuverings I've been doing can be undone because of your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And his biggest, uh, you know, no no was rubbing it in his face that you know just like i gave it to you i can take it all away and then rubbing in the fact that he had a wife now who was expecting and if it was a child even though it was younger than theon or theon than um ramsey he would still be um, uh... because yeah he would take uh he would be first in line because he would be a legitimate child with another noble as opposed to just a common born you know bastard yeah so yeah, that's in, and thus yeah. Once, once he took care of his father, he went after his new stepmother and his brand new baby brother, and uh, it was it was pretty brutal. You know, I knew about the red wedding when it was going to happen because I read the books, and I was anticipating it, and I was like, you know, on the edge of my seat. But when he called out his new stepmom and baby brother and said oh can i hold them i was so stressed out for that baby at that moment because <laughs> we're you know we're in territory that hasn't been written about yet so anything can happen and you know who he is and what he's capable of so i was like no don't give him the baby no <laughs> well i mean that didn't save him or her or the baby so no. uh yeah uh very and you know when we first we first we saw i mean obviously we saw joffrey first and when you saw that he was leaning towards sadistic tendencies and stuff like that, I really didn't think the show would go any worse than Joffrey in that aspect. But then, uh, you know, very next season, you get Ramsey Bolton. You're like, wow, this is a sociopath <laughs> in the Middle Ages where he can get away with anything, you know. So that's uh, that's who probably Joffrey would have grown up to. If But Joffrey would have been worse because he would have been king, so... Oh, yeah. He would have felt like there was nothing stopping him. Yeah, if you want a great example of chaotic evil, that's Ramsey Bolton right there. <laughs> Do you think Ramsey Bolton has, in his mind, the Iron Throne? No, I don't think his ambitions are that far. Um, he just kind of wants to carve out a little hole for himself in the North, I believe. he de- He's more about the hunt. And if he, he'd be in a situation where if he got the Iron Throne, he wouldn't know what to do with it. It would just lead to the whole empire collapsing because of his poor rule. 
right. just wants to be the 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 murderer, the mercenary. Okay, fair enough. Because I, I you, you tend to see a lot of different people that you wouldn't even think would would want a uh, uh, a bid for the Iron Throne, but they they kind of express the, that they they do. That's their end game is to be on, on the Iron Throne. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think Ramsey Bolton has a desire to be the the king of Westeros. He just he wants his little area of the north where he can do his sick sadistic like. Uh, uh, experiments and and torturing and and you know do what he needs to do and he'll be fine. Yeah, just wants to go out hunting. You know, sick his dogs out on people. <laughs> what a way to go too! So that would be our first uh, ever segment of uh, lineage, and I think it went pretty well. I think uh, if there's a character that uh, any of our listeners are particular that want to want us to talk about or go into depth. Uh, I mean, obviously, we could go way more into depth with with Ramsey Bolton, but uh, there's only so much time in the day. But uh, if there's other characters that you would like to hear more about, then give us a, a holler or drop us a line. Yeah, I'm guessing people are going to want to know who that badass dual wielder was in that flashback scene. <laughs> that flashback scene. Well, we'll get into that right now because we're going to go into both episodes that we, that or that we were going to talk about this week, episode two and episode three. And uh, I believe what was episode, I, you said episode three was called Oathbreaker, but what was episode two called? Do you remember? Um, I'm trying to look it up, but my internet seems to be. I think it was called failing at the moment. Mother, maybe. Mother. I think so. I, I could be wrong. Uh, so, in episode two, we have Sir Davros for the most. Like, I think one of the big, the bigger part of the story is Sir Davros and the rest of the Night's Watch that's still loyal to um, Jon Snow, kind of just hovering around his body inside the room, and maybe we can get uh, Davros thinks that he can get the uh, the Red Witch to somehow bring him back to life because he's seen her do do things that are unexplainable yeah he goes in and asks her for a miracle not because he believes in any of the gods but because he's seen what she can do like give birth to a shadow demon assassin yeah and i kind of didn't like the way that scene was written because it sounds like he's explicitly asking for her to resurrect him when she's the only one out of the two of them that has actually seen that resurrections are possible. You know, like, you're right. He... Go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. I was like, it just kind of seems like they're, they're, they're doing fan service there by saying, hey, you guys remember that scene where this happened, right? You know, and kind of acknowledging it. But um, it's it seemed like she should have been the one that brought it up without him having to kind of hint at resurrection. Like, she could have said... You know, I wish there was something I could do to help. You know, I know of one man who brought a man from back from the dead once, but I don't know how he did it. You yeah, know, it was it, very it interesting like... the, that they would they would pull it that way. I mean, they want Davros to to lead the scene. I understand that, but it's it, it, he wasn't there when we saw when we as the audience saw the only other resurrection. So why why have it be him that that asked for it and not her? Now we have the rest of the Night's Watch, the ones basically the ones that uh, stabbed uh, Jon Snow uh, out in the in the courtyard outside the room, trying to bust in or trying to get Davros, Davros and the rest of the the rest of the rest of the people loyal to Jon Snow and Jon Snow's body. Um, 
for whatever reason, I mean, you kind of need to, to to burn his body pretty soon because we don't want him to come back as a uh, zombie, right? Right, but you also get the impression that everybody in that room that's with Jon Snow believes that they're going to be killed regardless. This is true. And, um, yeah, so I find that kind of interesting. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but that's where they were going with that scene and making it seem like, okay, we, we're we going to have to go out fighting because, you know, we don't have a choice here as to what's happening. Do you find it, like... Uh, that Davros is kind of, kind of he, I guess he's throwing he's throwing his weight in with Jon Snow at this point uh, because he knows uh, Stannis is dead. Um, that's interesting. I don't think that's necessarily the case where he's like, "Well, I'm backing this guy now because my other guy is." You know, no well, longer there. I, I just mean like because um, he knows Stannis dies and, and he's not anywhere near it. I mean, if I imagine if he was near Stannis, he'd be asking the red the red witch to to bring Stannis back to life. But since he's not near where that is, he's over. He's here at the Night's Watch, and he knows Jon Snow to be a per- particularly uh, uh, loyal or noble person. He, he he's kind of throwing him. In. It's it's the things that he saw good in Stannis, so he wants to he wants to bring Jon Snow back. That's a good question. Um, a little bit referenced from the TV show. He's not there when that happens. Um, he gets sent off on a mission, so the only ones at Castle Black are Melisandre and, interestingly enough, Stannis' wife and child are still there. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, it's only Stannis that leaves uh, with wildlings to go fight, and with Mance Raider, I believe, who, like I mentioned in the last episode, is still alive in the books. Right. In order to fight in Winterfell, so um, uh, Davos's actions are—I think he's reaching from a place of like I can tell he's a good man and he didn't deserve this, but also like the Castle Black and the Night's Watch was a better place because of him, um, and you know he didn't deserve for this to go down the way it did. Not only that, but also, having Jon Snow be dead means that a lot of the stuff that just happened was going to be undone. They'd probably go and kill all the wildlings and, you know, like, it would basically become a worse situation with him being dead. Right. Uh, and so that's where um, the the guy that's the friend of uh, Jon Snow, when he, when Davros is like, oh, it's not true, we do, we could have some reinforcements, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right, I can go get the wildlings. He's going to get them from Winterfell, or just basically uh, no, the surrounding area? area? Yeah, they're in an area slightly south of the wall called the Gift. And it's an area that belonged to some of the North families, like, shared it. But it was generally considered to be just kind of like a large open area that anybody can go into anytime, whenever they want. Um, there's some history behind that one that I don't have all of the information for right this minute but um basically by giving it to the wildlings to kind of spat in the face of some of the northern families really oh so i mean thus you yeah. know putting more uh, of the whole why john snow needed to be uh, killed because he betrayed uh his his oath as the night's watch commander or whatever right 
Well, yeah, simply by letting the wildlings through, it uh, he's he seemed to be an oath breaker right there. Right, but when in actuality he's, he he sees it as you know, he that's not exactly what the oath was asking to keep out. It wasn't the wildlings that they want to keep out. It's the whatever that it, the the dude that that white king with his his horde of ice zombies coming coming that that was really what you want to keep out. Yeah, I like calling him the Lich King. Kind of wish that was him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, eventually, at the end of the episode, we we get uh, the the ritual that the the red the red witch is going to pull, and um, it she does. I mean, pretty much everybody thinks she's unsuccessful because uh, he doesn't come back to life right away. But everybody leaves that room, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, Ghost does that little double take of like, I smell something. <laughs> you do this really long zoom in on Jon Snow's face, and then he just explodes in like heavy breathing, <laughs> just being jolted from a deep sleep. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so thus the the rebirth of Jon Snow, and and now everybody can know. Yes, he's back. He's back <laughs> into the land of the living. Now, I, I, you know, in earlier season, um, we have Melisandre talk about how the the blood of kings is a very strong po- component, and and it will it can it can do a lot of special things. That's why when you got that one ritual that you were talking about, where they uh, put the leeches into the fire, and those was the, the different usurpers for Stannis's throne, right? Right. This kind of leads credence to I I know that's a big part that's in the book, but it's not something that's actually in the show yet, but the lineage to who Jon Snow is, right? Yeah, that's a whole another can of worms right there. Um that doesn't necessarily mean I mean, Melisandre definitely senses there's something special about Jon Snow. Um in the last season, she tried, you know, getting down and dirty with him. Uh, and she only did that in cases where she was trying to make some especially powerful magic happen. So, like, she did that with Stannis in order to make the Shadow Baby. And she did that with uh, Gendry, uh, Robert's bastard, mm-hmm. in order to conjure up enough magic to make the leeches thing work. So her trying to seduce Jon Snow, she knew that he has power. She, I don't know that she knows yet why or how. But she can sense it in him. In um, kind of a book thing that happens in uh, book five is that she's looking into the fire to try to see the future. And she says she can't see anything. All she sees is snow. And snow is capitalized as if it was Jon Snow's last name. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. That She says, I don't understand. I don't know what it is about him, but there's something about him that is special. Well, there you go. I mean, he's obviously he's, he's someone. He's someone special. <laughs> yeah. So then we get on to, uh, and we'll just we'll just create the we'll treat the two episodes as was one episode. So we'll keep keep following along the Jon Snow storyline. Jon Snow then uh, finally, you know, gets his wits about him. He throws on his uh, Lord Commander jacket, walks out to the courtyard where the the people that killed him are being held and. And everybody's kind of like freaked out because he's supposed to be dead. 
Yeah, and apparently he is not very well endowed, according to Tormund Giantsbane. <laughs> I guess yeah, that's very true. Uh, that was very. That was my takeaway from that whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a very funny scene. I had to say something about how it's cold, and uh, I was just butt naked. And all that, all that other stuff, but and then you would have to. If, if it was me, I'd be like, it was good enough for Egret. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, but then eventually, basically, he has to. Um, he goes and he and he fulfills the the uh, punishment that he needs to dole out for people that basically that betrayed him. And just like as his father said in the very first episode, if you're the the if you're the one that's in charge and you hand out the punishment you got to be able to uh, follow through and he he pulls the, the or he cuts the line that then hangs all the people even the young Ollie that he kind of felt something for yeah you could tell that there was a moment of hesitation in him like he doesn't want to have to kill them but it's his duty now because you know, once you break those rules, that like you're kind of bound to it. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I also kind of felt like knowing, at least from his perspective, when they asked him what he saw on the other side, and all he said was nothing. There was nothing on the other side. It almost felt like he felt bad that now he was going to send people to nothing. You know, like, now that I know what's over there, I kind of feel bad that that's where I'm sending you, but it's what I have to do. And um, on a similar note, the old thing that Egret used to say to him, you know nothing, Jon Snow, happens to be true now. Oh, that, that is true. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about that connection. Which uh, I also, but I, I took from that whole thing of the fact that he said that, you know, he didn't see anything, he didn't remember anything. I, I thought that was a very interesting thing to throw in there for the writers, especially for the fact that, one, obviously they brought back his soul, so that means there's something. But two, this is a world where not only do they have uh, old gods, but they have new gods, and you know there's a god for everything, and and a different, and, and then also you have this red uh, lady, Melisandre, coming in, and she's preaching about a very brand new god, the Lord of Light, or whatever, and uh, yet all these gods that are being thrown around, and and he says he saw nothing. Yeah, that's really interesting because they don't really – I don't remember reading about what the afterlife of the Red God is supposed to be like. Um, I'm guessing that it's supposed to be something filled with fire. I would assume so. <laughs> um, which is kind of interesting that that would be their afterlife. But yeah, most of them don't really um, – from what I can tell, um, the uh, – the faith of the seven seems to be the most, I guess for lack of a better word, kind of Western Christian-like. Right. Where you have, you know, instead of a trinity, they have like a septology. That's the right word. Right. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so like they have like a paradise where you're in peace, from what I can tell in their afterlife. Um, the old gods... Um, I think it's just kind of a thing of like you just get to see your ancestors and you just become a part of like a great, you know, pantheon of, you know, your former relatives, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, to the best that I can tell. That's why they in the north, they have the crypts with the statues. It's kind of like a representation of the afterlife. You just kind of become a statue, sort of. That, that's a way to put it, I guess. Um, yeah. So I don't know what the afterlife of the red god is supposed to be, if that is the one true god. 
because it's the only one we've seen that actually seems to work. Um, one would think, well, that's that must be the true one, the real one, because none of the other ones seem to be granting the prayers of anyone. Well, actually, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I think is interesting. We'll, we'll segue us into the next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, the, the many-faced god. So the many-faced god is Arya, where, where we leave her. You know, she's trying to – she's now blind and living on the streets and, and begging for whatever she can get. And uh, then that apprentice girl and what's the name of the, the dude? Uh, he is Jack and Hagar. Okay, so they approach her on the street, and uh, you know, if if uh, you give the man a name, the girl's name or whatever, and now they'll get, he'll give the girl back her sight, and she's like, the, the girl has no name. Yeah, they don't buy it at first, but eventually, through the whole montage that she goes through and the kind of daredevils like training sequence <laughs> that's true that's a, it's very much daredevil and stick <laughs> yeah it, it seems like they eventually beat it out of her and they managed to train her to actually accept that she has no like identity i suppose um and their their magic definitely seems to work um yeah i mean that's what i that's what i would have to say was that if you follow the faith of the many-faced god maybe your body dies, but you might not end up dying. You kind of become part of this collective whole of uh, being able to be called upon to uh, use your face or whatever, you know, your your essence or whatever to accomplish whatever goal they need to get accomplished. Yeah, that it. I, I find their culture and their religion interesting because they call death a gift. And it's something that, you know, when people ask for it, you know, it should be given to them with the utmost of care. And that's why you shouldn't kill anyone who is not being claimed by the, the many-faced god because you're you're stealing from the many-faced god or something to that effect. And um, they also seem to think of it as, as being an afterlife of nothing. Oh. So it's kind of interesting that the many-faced god is supposed to encompass basically all religions, um... For example, the the stranger, which is sort of the equivalent equivalent of the Grim Reaper, within the the faith of the Seven, is said to be uh, one of the the uh, the idols that's within the the, the House of Black and White. Uh, they have different. That's one of the reasons why it's called the Many Faced God is because they say all of the gods that these people worship, whether it's the Red God or the drowned um, god or the drowned god yeah all of these are basically the same god he just he shows up to people wearing different faces right and that's what their their whole um mytholo- uh, mythology is based on is that they become the faceless men because they actually have many faces they have no true face once they fully devote themselves to the religion which is why they are no one that's a, it's a very very interesting storyline that uh and, and now we see obviously Arya is, is going further into her training and she is going to uh whatever she ends up becoming if she beco- ends up becoming like um would you say his name was again Jocker Jockin Hagar Jockin um which brings it's kind of funny that you would say that about how they respect death so much and you can only kill a person if they if it's giving back to the many-faced god but um the first time we met him is when he owed something to Arya, and she, uh, he said that he'd kill three men for her. Right. Yeah. That 
<laughs> that was a really cool thing how that whole thing uh, that event turned out because it's true like three men would have died if it wasn't for Arya's intervention and so therefore those lives were claimed by the the many-faced god by saving them and the the curious part being that Jack and Hagar did not accept his fate uh, he he wanted to be to be free to keep on living now that could be argued that it was because he still had a mission to accomplish and you know failure is something that they're just simply you know cannot stand or he really did have just a pang of like kind of mortal fear where he didn't want to die I mean that's we'll have to find out more about that you know in the future but yeah by by sparing their lives three lives were now owed which is why he you know gave her that deal of you know a girl names three names you know and they will be killed pretty sweet deal for her but she I feel like she kind of used them up on all the wrong people. Yeah, I think I feel I, I felt that way too when when that came around. Um, I, I also thought that it was um, interesting. I mean, now that you pointed it out that way, c- could it be that uh, his whole purpose of that whole mission was to to basically inter, inter intersect with Arya and then make her like maybe she is is something that's more important for the many faced god or. You know, it was because it, if it wasn't for the fact that he intrigued her at that point, she would never went looking for him. Yeah, there's there's no coincidences in this storyline. There's definitely something going on. There's there was a popular fan theory that supposedly George R. R. Martin has debunked that um, Jockin Hagar was actually Cyril Forel, her sword teacher. Oh, because you never see him. You never see him die. You never see a body. And he seems to be doing pretty well at defending himself in order for her to get away. Um, it's kind of interesting because if you follow the plot line, when you first meet Jock and Hagar, he's being taken north to the wall because he was one of the prisoners that was in the, the, the dungeon in the Red Keep. Right. So he had been caught. A faceless man does not get caught unless he wants to be caught. Right. So it must have been part of his mission. I mean, we're kind of drawing strings here, but um, it had to have been part of his mission to get taken up north as a prisoner because he was meant to assassinate somebody. Uh, The whole thing with Arya seems to have just been part of the natural progression of the plot where, you know, that happened. And then everybody kind of got sidetracked or diverted. Um, It's unclear. I mean, the faceless man would not be there unless he had a mission someone to kill, someone high up. And the other possibility being that it was Cyril Forel, he changed his face because they're both from Bravos. That's what I was going to say. Um, wasn't, it, wasn't it also stated that he was from Bravos as well? Yes. Uh, and that could have just been his way of hiding out until, you know, it was safe for him to kind of just change his face again and, you know, disappear. Hmm. So who knows? That, that There's a lot of interesting... You know, things to notice what he was doing there in the first place. Had he already accomplished his mission? If so, then why was he just kind of wasting time in a dungeon when he could, you know, just easily escape? Or was that part of his plan to get closer to his intended target? It's just, yeah, we're kind of in the dark still, but we hope that there's some kind of answer to that. I think we're definitely in the dark, but I I do think now that you've uh, kind of uh and informed me a little bit more i think that's it's it's i think the whole he needed to 
to put the intrigue into Arya about his whole uh, religion or his 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 particular. I don't want to say cult, but guild. Yeah, that'd be probably a better word, you know, to to come there. Yeah, plus she was still very consumed with revenge. At that point, she was still reciting the list of names, uh, many of whom are already dead, so she doesn't even have to really worry about that. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Although, speaking of the list, they did bring special attention to that in one of these episodes. And I found it very curious that her list seems to have gotten really short now. And the fact that she no longer wanted to kill the hound, even though she left him to die and is probably dead, she said, well, I wanted to kill him, but then I didn't. And you know, when they said that, I thought, I thought they, she did. I thought, I thought I remember her sticking him with the, with the sword. No, she steals his money. And just walks away? Yeah. And he says, just make it quick. You know, like I taught you. And she was like, nah. You know, takes his money and, you know, walks out. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, that is, I mean, it is interesting that she, he wasn't on the list anymore. I mean, obviously, uh, they they bonded, even though at first she did hate him and, and whatnot, but he did end up protecting her more often than not. He says it's for his own benefit financially, but you, he went through a lot of trouble, you know, at certain times for it to still be financially beneficial. Yeah, it was, it was probably more trouble than it was worth, which says that he probably cared for her or wanted to, to like do something good for a change. Very. And not only that, but in a way it was also kind of sticking it to the Lannisters. Right. Who he had, he definitely had a problem with. Yeah. Where would you like to head to next? Well, uh, we need to also cover some of the situation going on in um, Marine. Marine, yes, with Tyrion being in charge now, and the uh, the sons of the Harpies apparently seeming to be biding their time, but they're still very much there. And uh, we see a really cool scene with um, Varys interrogating one of the uh, the supporters of the Harpy. Right. So, I mean, yeah, we see, we have, uh, it's funny that she's the, the break, I mean, one of the many names that titles in her name is the breaker of chains and she's freed all these slaves, but, uh, it seems like every moment she turns around, uh, the people are, these masters are taking their slaves back because, uh, they get a report that the cities that they were in have all kind of went back to being slavers and, uh, you have the sons of the, or the, would you said it was the sons of the harpies? The sons of the harpies. The yeah. sons of the harpies are obviously fighting to to dethrone her so that they can go back to their old ways. And uh, you have Tyrion, who's kind of trying to hold it all together. He's trying to to be uh, the de facto leader in her stead while she's gone, trying to keep it a secret that she's not around. And uh, uh, what's the name of the eunuch? Barris, Barris, yeah, and he's he's using his uh, his bird network to to get the secrets like he usually does. So it's interesting to see the two of them working together to keep a hold of Daenerys's empire. Uh, eventually, they come to the the uh, conclusion that they need to release, maybe release the dragons, the two dragons that are cap that are held captive underneath the or inside the mountain. 
Right, yeah. And that leads that comes from his now famous quote that I've seen on t-shirts everywhere on like Facebook that uh I drink and I know things. <laughs> like how does he know about dragons? He's like, well, that's what he does. <laughs> and that actually goes back to an episode in season 1 where Daenerys's older brother is talking to one of her servants while they're in the bathtub. And he's explaining the whole history of the House Targaryen and their use of dragons and explains that as the centuries went on, you know, they uh, they became more and more of a liability because dragons just do what they want. You know, if they see a herd of sheep, they'll go down, burn it, and eat them. So they had to start keeping them under control. They they kept them underground. In lo- I mean, they were large uh, like holding pens, but they were still underground and they were usually confined and shackled. So as the generations went by, the dragons kept getting smaller and smaller until eventually they were no bigger than cats. Right. So, yeah, you, you see, like, one of the skulls in one of those first season episodes in the dungeon, and it's huge. Like, Arya can easily climb inside its mouth. And uh, they said that towards the end, the last dragon born was no, like, no bigger than a cat. Right. So he knows that if you want to keep the dragons healthy, you have to just let them be free. So he gets the bright idea to go down there by himself and try to unchain them. <laughs> and um, he says they're smart, so they must understand him. And he's all like, hey, guys, I'm your mom's friend. And he's just lucky he didn't get, like, roasted right in that second. It's very true. And then, he, I mean, obviously, then he runs runs away. But they don't quite tell you if uh, he left the door open for them to leave or not or... Or what? They kind of, you kind of, they kind of just in the scene with the, with the with the dragons being unchained. Yeah, I, he probably had to change his pants afterward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would be the size of a goat. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, then you have uh, the you know more or less they're they're getting more information on whether or not what they need to do uh, to keep Marine and uh, and then the sons of the harpies have also taken out the, all the ships that Daenerys had. So crossing the the narrow sea to Queen's Landing is not or to Westeros isn't going to be happening anytime soon, right? And uh, yeah, so they're in a really precarious situation right now. Like the, everything's hanging in the balance. The other two kingdoms that Daenerys has freed are now reverting back to their slaving ways. And if anything, I, I've if I heard it correctly, they're sounds like they're uniting. Because they're they're eventually going to try to help uh, Marine get back to its slaver status with the help of the Sons of the Harpy. Like right now, it's just a guerrilla force, but you know, eventually you'll have a full army to contend with, and two dragons that don't obey anybody are going to be your only real weapons. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Daenerys herself has her own problems going on, but she's been taken captive by the. Dothraki. The Dothraki. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, they, that, they finally take her back to the Dosh Kaleen, which are the widows of the, the, the Kells, uh, where she's supposed to live the rest of her life. And that was actually a cool scene because it brought to the point that um, one of them, I think it was their leader, says, I remember you. you uh, I was there when you ate that stallion's heart. Mm-hmm. And all that talk about, you know your son will be the the stallion that mounts the world. Yeah, so was mine 
when I was your age, and so was hers and hers. So basically, they all get the same spiel of like, you're going to be the greatest badass ever <laughs> until you're not. You know? Until you're not. <laughs> and it's kind of hit her. Like, we don't care about your titles, your accomplishments, any of that. You're the widow of a cow, and that's, that's as far as your identity is going to go from now on. That is, that is kind of, uh, I mean, because I, I would have to say for five seasons of the show, it, it pretty much have pumped up Daenerys as being, she's the one that's going to make it over to Westeros and she's going to come in with her dragons. She's going to set things straight. Well, guess what? She is now nothing more than a house, an old housemaiden that has to sit there and listen to other ex-wives that, that are going to bitch about the fact that they can't, they aren't going to be doing anything either. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, um, you still have Drogon that's MIA Right. So he's going to have to feature in there somehow. I don't know if he'll go in and burn the building down and take her or... Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you think that that, uh, the fact that... Do you think her dragon, like Drogon, will come in and and, and cause havoc and that will be enough to unite the the Dothraki behind her again? And she could have that giant of an army once again to go across the the Narrow Seas? That's going to have to be how it plays out, actually. Because... um, Back in season one, when Cal Drogo died, his um, Kalazar basically split off into multiple factions. Some of them went to join other Kalazars. Some of the some of the stronger men formed their own Kalazars. Um, so she only had a very small part of the original group that you know that Cal was Drogo. loyal to her. Yeah, yeah. And then as as they went by you know, wandering the red waste, you know, a bunch of them died. And then she got, basically when her numbers started growing again was when she got the Unsullied. Because then she had, I forget how many she got, it was like a, a couple thousand, I think. Right, yes, exactly. And then obviously they were a a good, a, a great army, but they, only a few of them are really warriors like, like, like uh, Dothraki are. Right, yeah. And they're, they're basically servants. They don't really have... I mean, they're good at following orders, but aren't so good at having, like, they don't really have ambitions, I guess. Right. You know, all, of, all of the ego gets beaten out of them at an early age, um, which is why it's kind of strange that in the show, they're showing that some of them visit uh, brothels, even though they don't have the necessary parts to do anything about it. Well, and then... Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that that was an interesting part in last season when, you, when we first saw the Sons of the Harpy, one of them... Uh, one of the Unsullied is is just kind of being coddled or held by a, 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 a prostitute. Not so much sex, but I mean that's obviously they you know they don't have those those bits anymore. But it's 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 more of they just want to be held, have attention, I guess, attention they didn't have as ch- children. It shows that they're the mentally there's a lot more going on than what we've been told, but. They're not diving too much into it. Even the fact that Grey Worm shows some kind of interest in uh, the interpreter um, girl, the translator girl. Yeah, I can't remember her name. Yeah, I can't either. Um, starts with an M, I bet. <laughs> I'll call her Melissa. So that's, that's what it reminds me. Oh so, uh, yeah, he seems to have no interest in her, but yet doesn't really know either. He probably doesn't know what it is he's feeling either, or. It's just something they haven't really gone too much into because they'll reveal later. Right. Uh, which then also led to a very interesting little conversation between uh, Grey Worm 
Melissa and uh, Tyrion around the table, like, "Hey, let's let's talk about something, or let's play a game." Or yeah, that was a nice throwback to Tyrion's jovial nature and how it doesn't fit in with everyone in his current state. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the last thing I, I would like to jump over to is, and I know there's plenty more that we could be talking about, uh, and there's lots of stuff that we're going to miss, but uh, the next thing would probably be King's Landing and, and what's happening with uh, the royal family and the, the, the Church of the Seven. Is that what, you, is that what we said, called it was? Uh, the Faith of the Seven. Faith of the Seven. Uh, but the, more specifically, it's currently being hijacked by the Faith Militant, which is being led by the High Sparrow. The High Sparrow. Yeah, there's a lot of like obtuse naming conventions that they have for these things. <laughs> that's just the fantasy trope, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely uh, the fantasy trope in, in coming up with the names, and and I think more often than not, more more people are just like, yeah, that one guy and him and those people. You know, you, no one ever remembers the names. Yeah, there's. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to send you. We'll post on the site. Uh, there's a really cool picture of. Um, people who asked their parents to name the characters of game of thrones <laughs> and they'll say like if over like five different characters they'll have the name bran <laughs> they'll have oh the guy with the burnt face oh you know, mr like the douche mustache guy <laughs> um, there's a lot of really cool uh, well i do have to say this is that i'm very upset that uh, we're what three episodes into the season and we haven't seen Bronn. like i think we saw we ha- oh, yeah yeah I'll be back soon. Okay, good. And because uh, he, he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, kind of side note, a little uh, behind the scenes thing about Braun that I thought was kind of funny. It turns out he used to be um, in a relationship with Lena Haiti, who plays Cersei. And um, apparently, she has a stipulation where she does not want to film any scenes with him because it did not end well between them. Uh, I, I I ended up reading that same uh, same article or at least a, a similar article, and I did find that interesting too. Do, I have to ask: in the books, do Cersei and Bronn share a lot of scenes? Um, there's a couple of scenes where he's with Tyrion uh, early on, but not really. They don't really interact at all. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think they, think they would to each other. So, even I think it was more just for the show's like filming was like no i do not want him in the same scene as me or something right and that i mean that would uh it makes sense too when what last season when uh Tyrion was going to ask him to be his uh his um what's it called when a, a jury by battle or t- trial by by battle his champion his champion there you go uh but he was like sorry your sister already offered me uh this kingdom over here with uh uh, or this this you know lordship or whatever. So I'm gonna do that. And you didn't really see that conversation happen between Braun and Cersei, but right, yeah, uh, interesting. So we have Cersei, who obviously is is finally got her wits back about her, and she's ready to start plotting against uh, the 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 faith of the Seven, or at least the High Sparrow. Yeah, she's concocting a plan because she's, she's, um, she's a lot more lucid, but you can tell she's holding on to that, um, the the humiliation that they try to put on her. Well, if if not, if she only, if she, I mean, not only did she already have the anger from when the they they, they humiliated her, she has now the added at the anger of her her daughter being killed and uh, her not being able to see 
the her being buried or whatever because according to them they need she needs to repent more or she needs to be humbled more or whatever she yeah she, be... she's not done yet yeah it was just the first thing not only that but uh Tommen being like the biggest pushover in the kingdom goes in like ready to start cracking skulls with his king's guard and by the end of it he's on the side of the high sparrow <laughs> he, yeah he is quite the uh the the pushover as you put it um I did like the little interchange between him and the High Sparrow to the point where he, the High Sparrow is talking about, uh, I can't remember exactly what the speech is, but he says, uh, my grandfather told me a similar story, but it didn't have to do with, uh, with religion or something like that. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, um... Cause it was, it was, it was a time when he was, he was sitting over Joffrey's, uh, dead body and he, and, 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 Tywin was talking about how you're going to be king now, so what kind of king do you want to be? And he says, well, uh, I would be a religious king. And he goes, oh, that's good, because King blah, blah, blah was a pious king. And, well, guess what? This is how he died. And he goes, okay, well, then I'll be a just king and stuff like that. And eventually it's all about uh, trusting your advisors, right? Right, yeah. Which was just him brainwashing him, pushing him over, like, earlier. Uh to make sure that his position, that Tywin's position, as the hand was of the king, right? Like, you need me, yeah. So, yeah, that was a really good speech. This, if anything, this show does right is just political maneuvering. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and then and we still have Marjorie Tyrell being held captive by uh, by the High Sparrow and the militant faith or the Faith militant, and we also have. Uh, What's his? What's her brother's name? She he hasn't been seen, but he we know that he's captured down there somewhere. Oh, uh, Sir Loris. Yeah, Sir Loris. Yeah, they have not shown him, but I believe they show him in the next preview. Okay, and uh, yeah, it sounds like she's ready to crack or getting close to it. Yeah, it does sound like that, and it's funny because you have uh, uh, Lady Tyrell. What's the grandmother's name? I forget. She's on uh, the small council. Yes, uh, the Queen of Thorns. I forget her name right off the top of my head. So she's on the small council, and then who is the? It's it's is it Tywin's brother that's uh, the the king the hand of the king right now? Yes, that's uh, Kevon Lannister. This is currently acting as the hand, I believe. And and then you have Jaime and and Cersei and uh, Sir Sir Big Guy <laughs> used to be the Mountain. Uh, yeah. walk Frank in and be like, we're going to be here. We're going to be part of the, the small council if you like it or not. And they're like, no, uh, you guys can say we're going to go ahead and take off. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Just nothing but disrespect there. So it's very interesting that, you know, we don't, the, 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 the Lannisters basically have no, uh, now with, uh, Rob Stark dead and, you know, uh, no real people to oppose them. They don't, they aren't focusing on a, on a war outside of King's Landing anymore. It's all about inside of King's Landing and, and where they, they stand as the, the head of Westeros. Is this going to be taken over by the faith or is it going to be led by the Lannister still? Well, yeah, the Lannisters are quickly losing power. I mean, with, um, with, Tommen now being married to Marjorie, um, she is now the queen, and Cersei is just the king's mom, really. Right. 
And so really, the power kind of really mostly belongs now to the, the Tyrells. Um, the, the, Jamie still has a high position being you know, leader of the Kingsguard. But Cersei really is the one that's kind of the odd one out. Right, she has um, no real title or uh, or um, power at this point, but she she does she's not letting go of her power. Uh, even though right. Marjorie Tyrell is the new queen, she still acts as if she's the queen regent and uh, is trying to bully people around in that aspect. Now, for the most part, she you would think that she would still have a lot of power, being the mother of Tommen, who's very young. But Tommen is like, as you pointed out earlier, such a pushover. He, he, he wields no power himself because he doesn't know how to be a king, and that's more likely just because he's a child. Right. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the mountain being by her side, she would really not have a lot of like influence right now. So you can see he's not leaving her side very much, except when it's to go and bash the skulls in of people who are talking smack about Cersei. <laughs> that was that was so funny. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about this particular uh, event or what's going on here? Um, well, to close out a couple of events, um, well, the Tower of Joy flashback. Oh, that's right. Really- totally didn't even talk about that. I'm sorry. That could be a whole other segment on its own, so we can save that for another time. Okay. I have a feeling, a strong feeling, that we're going to see a lot more of it in the next coming episodes. Yes, I think uh, all this stuff, this training that Bran is going through, or at least a history lesson that uh, uh, Von Sydow is, is, is putting him, Max Von Sydow is putting him through, is going to be a big part of this season. Yeah, it's called that Exposition 101. <laughs> So you know all those things that you don't know about the history of these characters? We're going to go ahead and throw that in right here. Yeah, all that all the hinting that they've been doing about Jon Snow's true parents. Yeah, yeah we're probably going to get that to get to that soon. <laughs> um and that leads me to my final uh segment is the the turnout at Castle Black with Jon Snow. After he executes the the traitors, he then does an epic mic drop by giving his Lord Commander coat to Ed and saying, I'm out of here. My watch is done. Which technically is true. I was I said the exact same thing because the oath says until you die, and technically he died. Yeah. <laughs> and um It didn't say anything about no. But if you come back to life, you're still in the, the none, none of that. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I mean, he, he fulfilled his oath, so he's good yeah. to go ahead and walk away. Now, the interesting thing about that segment is that the way he leaves, it looks like he's not leaving out of Castle Black, but rather going further north into the wall. If you look at the direction he's going, now that could have just been for dramatic effect. Maybe he was taking the long way to his personal room to get his belongings, but... It doesn't look like he's leaving Castle Black. It looks like he's going north to, like, the wild country. Right. So it's, it's so, also very interesting is, like, these last, the last offspring of uh, of of the Starks, are, I mean, pretty much they're all, I mean, they're all kind of just missing each other by barely. Like, Sansa Stark is on her way right now to Castle Black to be with Jon Snow because they think that's, you know, the, the closest person to be her, her family. And uh, Arya Stark missed Sansa at the 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 Vale because 
they told him that Sansa was dead, so she was no reason for Arya to stay around there. And uh, they, they think that the two, the the youngest two brothers, are dead because Theon Greyjoy murdered two farmhands and and burned their bodies. So it's all kind of like a bunch of hands or cups and balls and, and missing each other <laughs> comically. And speaking of which, we now finally see the return of Rick and Stark. Yeah, uh, which was very funny because I, th- I think it was last episode when we talked about we didn't know where he was at. Yeah, and that was so lackluster that, oh, here they are. <laughs> it was, well, it's unfortunate of where they're they're at. Yeah, that's probably the worst place you'd want to be if you're Stark <laughs> yeah. currently. So, yeah, we will get into more of that, hopefully with more episodes, and we will uh, have to uh, cut it off right here for for now. Uh John, is there anything you'd like to promote? Any or would you like to give out your any of your social media name? Uh, I'm on Facebook, John Camarena. Send me any Game of Thrones questions, or if you want to talk about geek stuff, do it there. And uh, um, I'll keep you posted onto the rest of my social media. I'm still working on that. Okay, uh, that's definitely where uh, we can do a lot more of the Game of Thrones talk and a lot of geek stuff talk on on the Geek Elite Radio Facebook. We uh, I personally have a Twitter account, it's at agent underscore of the underscore bat, and we have a Geek Elite Radio uh, f- Twitter, which is at Geek Elite Radio, as, long as, as well as an Instagram, which is Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and we have geekeliteradio.com as our website where we have archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. So I would like to say, just, you know, just before we, we, we wrap up at the very end, that we had a great time at the Yuma County free comic book day or Yuma County library free comic book day comic-con 2016 where we had our panels and we had a booth set up and lots of people came out to say hi to us and take pictures and be a part of our panel and the, the games that we, we played during our panel. So it was a great time. And, uh, unfortunately John couldn't be there cause he lives in Denver, but you know, he was the one that, uh, put us in, in contact with uh, the library to be a part of it. And that I greatly appreciate it, John. Yeah, well, I'll do what I can. <laughs> Maybe we can make it to uh, Denver Comic Con. I imagine I, I'm pretty sure Denver has one. I, I forget what it's called though. I don't think it's called Denver Comic Con. I'll look into that. I'll keep you guys posted. Sounds great. Uh, but that, that that's this week's Geek Watch. So this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Radio Network. Saying until next time, always remember to geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.